Welcome to the KICC Malawi podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged with the message today. Lord bless you this morning. Welcome back to church. And, uh, I want to go straight into the word of God. Those of us, those of you who are worshiping with us for the very first time, I, uh, I, I will welcome you at the very end. Don't get jittery. I will not ask you to stand. It's usually very scary. Standing in your but um, we thank God that we are able to look at His Word and uh, draw strength for life, strength for worshiping, strength for the next step. Amen. So today I want to share from the Word of God understanding the blessing of the king's mission understanding the blessing of the king's mission and i want to tell you a story there was a one time um we went on a mission to a, a country in east africa and you know as usual you get off the plane you're going through the formalities of the immigration and so on and i come to this desk and this man takes my, my passport says, ah, okay, you are from Malawi. I said, yes. Said, okay, what, is, what do you do? I said, I'm a missionary. He looked at me and said, you're not white. But he says, that's the picture in his mind. The missionary is supposed to be white. And so I said, no, I'm not white. <laughs> I'm very much African. So he says, but you're saying you're a missionary. I said, yes, I am. So anyway, we had this chit-chat going back and forth. But I want you to hold that thought. Who is a missionary? Who is a missionary? You're thinking David Livingstone, Robert Lewis, all all the others. And we thank God for them, for the sacrifice and the commitment in their lives to come and and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and do all these other kind of works that God has called them to. But really, who is a missionary? That's the thought I want you to hold right now. We'll come back to it later. But you see, I'll I, I just make a few statements before I, I, I go into what I, what I have to share with us this morning. First statement is that the Church of Jesus Christ has the Christ as the head. The people of Ephesians, the people of Jerusalem, tell us that the head of the Church is Jesus Christ. He rules it. And, and that's the way God designed it. And as leaders in the church, in this local congregation, our first and foremost responsibility is to find out what the king wants to do with his people. Many times I'll say, God, what do you want your people to do? Because this is not about my opinions or the opinions of the next person who stands here. It's about what God wants to share with us. He is the one that rules his kingdom. It is a kingdom that is ruled by a king. It is not a democracy. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. Does it mean we don't get to have our opinions heard or our thoughts heard? No, to the contrary. But we are just saying the king rules. 
and there is a way in which the king wants things done. Hallelujah. There is only one God. And as you have heard before, his position is not up for the taking. It's already filled and it will always be like that. God is God. Full stop. And there's a way in which he wants things done and there are reasons why he wants things done. So there's a way the king likes his things done. The king's way. Kingsway International Christian Center. If you don't want the Kingsway, maybe look elsewhere. But we are the Kingsway International Christian Center. Let that sink in. Amen. Let it sink in. It's the Kingsway as revealed in the scriptures. So we are living in an era where we seem to have lost focus of what is God's priority. For a long time, we have been talking about a lot of things in the church, and I think we have missed what is the king's heart. What is the heart of What is at the heart of God? And so, if I ask you, what is a blessing? What is a blessing from God? Most of us these days will be talking about, oh, they got a new job, they got a promotion, uh, they got married, um, they got transferred to... We, we look to, 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 to these tangible things, the things that serve us and we say that's a blessing. But really, really, I'm just, I'm just asking questions. What is really a good heart right now in this season? I want to submit to you that the greatest blessing anyone can have is to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is the greatest blessing ever. Living our lives for eternity with God, that is the greatest blessing. When you go through the pages of scripture from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the last chapter of Revelation 22. All in between, God has got one thing on his mind to be with his people. That's the only thing. And when we messed it up, he sent Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, was named Emmanuel. That means God with us. But you see, God is a gentleman. He will not force it on us. So he says, anyone who chooses to believe in me will have this eternal life. You've got to make a choice. He will not force it on you. That's not God. He wants to be with us, as we shall see in, in, in the scriptures as we go. Now, this eternal life with God starts now and continues then, according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. Anyone who has got the Son of God has got life. And the life that they're referring to 
is eternal life? When you read all the way to verse 13. So if you do not have Jesus Christ in your life, you do not have eternal life. You are not living with God. You're missing out on the greatest blessing ever. All through scriptures, you find that God is the one reaching out to us so that we can be with him. We admire people like Abraham who spoke with, with God as a friend. People like Moses. We admire people like Enoch who walked with God so closely that one time God just said, ah, you are too much, I'm taking you. And he was no more because he walked with God. We admire people like Jesus Christ himself who said, I don't do anything that I don't see my father do. That's walking with God. Hallelujah. There are those people who reach out and touch God and they, they get their lives transformed. They recognize that there's nothing about me. It's everything about God and I want to be where God is. Jesus Christ said at that time, he said, I'm going away to prepare a place. That where I will be, you could also be. If it were not so, I would have told you. So we are faced with the question either Jesus knows what he's talking about, or he downright lied to us. You've got to make a choice and begin to pursue the presence of God in our life. So that's the greatest blessing. When you turn over to Revelation chapter 22, you begin to realize that as beautiful as heaven is, but the issue that is central to heaven is that it will be God with his people. That's the greatest blessing. Everything else, the, the breakthrough testimonies of, of jobs and whatnot, it's icing on the cake. Really, you can do without it. God can sustain you without a promotion that you're looking for. God can sustain you without the healing you are looking for. He told Paul that my grace is sufficient. There's a brother, um, Pastor Vlad Savchuk. He was born with a deformity in his arm. He said he had been praying to God for a while. And all the time, said, You know what? God never healed me. My eye looks, it still looks the same way. It's a deformed eye. And God has given me a purpose. You can really do without the healing that you have. When you do get it, it's icing on the cake. And you can do without the icing. Let's be real. Amen? Let's be real. When you begin to sing songs like, everything is going to be okay, and you say, amen, Dangote, be your friend. Dangote may never be your friend. But Jesus will always be your friend. And what's the likelihood that so many people can be Dangote's friend? Some of these things we have made priority that they really are. 
The Bible says the earth and everything will pass away. Everything that you see, it will pass away. So you moving maybe your money from bank ABC to move it to bank XYZ or Z, depending where you went to school, at school. But you are in a boat that is sinking anyway. That's what it says. It's like you shuffling the big chairs of the Titanic. Things going to sink. Everything about us is going to go away. Now, am I saying just give up and don't live life? No. Live like today is the last day of your life. But prepare like tomorrow is going to come too. There are things we need to do before we get to there, when the earth is no more. Either through death or when the Lord comes to take us. There are things that we need to do accomplish. Let's put everything in the eternal perspective and things begin to change. So, In Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, the Bible tells us, No longer will there be any curse. Aren't you looking forward to that? No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. We'll see the face of God. Can you imagine? <laughs> the one that Moses saw, we'll see that face. You will see, I'm looking forward to it. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light or a lamp of the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Look, we shall be with God. We shall preach. We shall Until that time, King Jesus is on a mission. And it is his mandate to us. It should be our focus. Jesus' mission should be our focus. When we came for prayer yesterday, we were looking at Matthew 6, verse 33. And we have said, through and through, when you focus on God's business, he makes your business his business. Such that the things that everybody else is seeking, God makes sure they are added to you. It's a bonus. Hallelujah. So you don't begin to feel like Nikuzisaga. No, you, you, you trust God to provide those opportunities. Uh, we are not saying don't work or don't, don't, don't misquote me. Work. But keep the mission of God priority. And you see what God will do even at your workplace. Every time I have lost focus of God's calling to me, everything else I do does not work well. Every time I have come back to the calling, people begin to call me and say, we need two units of that thing. Can you, please, we need it. But I did that because of long ago. And I've learned my lesson. Focus on what God has called you to do. Amen? Focus on it and see how he will begin to sort things out. Am I saying it's going to be easy? No. I'll lie to you. It will mean hard work. It will mean a lot of prayer. Blood, sweat, and tears. But when you are focused on, on what God has called you to do, he makes sure 
that you have everything that you need. Some of you may need to realign your lives. Sometimes there's a question I ask people. It's very unsettling. I ask, do, should you be earning money the way you are earning money? Some of you in the wrong place. You need to realign so that you are able to pursue what God has called you to. Not long ago, I had a job opportunity. Not long ago. Submitted my CV and everything. And the Lord is like, what do you do? If you take up that job, how are you going to do what I told you? So it's a walk of faith. Amen? You have to stay in alignment and say, hey, that job would have done stuff, eh? Stuff. That job would have done stuff. You know what I'm talking about. When the bank touches what should be yours, remember you say the bank. Just before he went back to heaven, after he rose again, remember what we believe? That Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose on the third day according to the scriptures. So after he rose and he showed himself to the apostles and over 500 people, he makes an appointment with his disciples where he revealed his action plan so that more people can make their reservation for the ultimate blessing, the one we read about in Revelation. So he gives them an action plan. It is known as the Great Commission. That's our mission in life. So let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. So the, 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 the context is that Jesus Christ has risen again. Uh, the guards have been called to question why the tomb is empty. And they, are, they give the, the true account to the leaders and the leaders cook up a story uh, trying to cover up what really happened. That story goes into circulation and it says it is believed among the Jews even to this very day. There are people who actually believe that Jesus Christ was stolen from the grave. But the truth of the matter is he had risen from the dead. And there are so many things we can go into to disprove that. But there's so much evidence that demands that we come to a verdict about Jesus being alive now. Anyway, Jesus Christ made an appointment with his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, the Bible tells us that then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. That's the appointment. Okay? When they saw him, they worshipped him. Why? This has got to be God. That's the conclusion they've come to. This has got to be God. Okay? But some doubted. Alright? It's, it's just the way the human mind works. You don't talk to people who we're dead and we're back. We're to talk to you. And I would doubt too. 
Kapan jadi dia suka ada tidak bersepati, kapan suka pun butuh bersepati. There are some who doubt it, but Jesus allows them to worship because he is now at a point where he he can take worship even publicly. There are times when he would, he would not. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of Edge. Now, a couple of things that I want us to note. There are five points I want to share today about understanding uh, the blessing in the king's mission. So, the king has given them a mission. He has told his disciples what they are going to engage themselves in. Their focal point, things that should consume their very being. He tells them, number one, I want you to notice in verse, um, in verse 18. He says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, so there's, there's delegated authority that has come to, to him. Delegated authority is really, really, really simple. I discovered, oh, I discovered, when you are dealing with a traffic policeman, he is acting on behalf of the public. Did you know that? That is why, no matter how skinny or tall or whatever shape their body is, when they put their hand up, that 30-ton truck will stop. Has to stop. There's authority in there. So Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about it. This is the man who would talk to a storm and say, be still. Peace be still. And the storm was still. This is the one who would say, you don't need me to come under your roof. And the servant was healed wherever he was. That's authority. And he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? So that is the basis of this mission. This, this is God saying, I want you to have this authority and get this job done. I want to submit to you that the church exists because of this mission, not the other way around. It is the mission of God. It is his mission. Getting people into heaven is his mission. It's what he wants to be done. It is something that is a matter of priority to him. The Bible says in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, everything was focused on this mission. Seeking and saving the lost. Did he have feasts? Yes, he was actually called a friend of sinners. But even then, his mission was to seek and to save the lost. That's why you have like, stories of Zacchaeus. That was his mission. That was his focus. This mission is based on the authority that he had from God the Father. This is ultimately 
God's authority. It is Jesus telling his disciples, with this mission, with this authority, I'm commissioning you to continue on what I needed done. And the Jewish church was born. So in Acts chapter 10, what the Gentile church was born. So already God is putting things in place to say, this is not only for the Jews, this is for everybody. And the disciples take off with this mission in mind. They are, they are preaching to everyone who breathes. To come to them with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Trouble was, they were so happy doing it within Jerusalem, they didn't want to go anywhere else. So God allows persecution to happen. And the Bible tells us that wherever they went, they preached the gospel. Wherever they went, they preached the message. Repent. And those who called upon the name of the Lord were saved. And they are still being saved. As we shall see later on, that this is some mission that's been handed down from generation to generation to generation. We got it from the generation before us, and we are supposed to hand it on to the generation after us. Hallelujah. So, they, 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 they were a changed people, full of courage, even though they were, they were very cowardly before that, somebody denied him three times. Someone ran away from him naked when they wanted to grab him off. And he ran away naked. It's all in the Bible. But after they got an encounter with Jesus through the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2, they were different people. They were bold. They were preaching the word of God with boldness while they understood the urgency of the mission. They understood who had sent him. But more importantly, they had that experience. This is a mission which is much, much easier when you go through what you want others to go through. You can't give what you do not have. You can't. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you will preach. And maybe God through his, God, through his mercy, he will save a few. But the truth of the matter is you are missing out. We'll look at that later. How you're supposed to even share your very life. So, I want us to take a close look at what he commissioned the disciples, which eventually is what we're supposed to be doing. Because when we look at this, there's a movement that is born out of here. And that movement was, I think, arrested. This is my opinion. I think it was arrested when, the, when, when, when Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of God. But it's, it's a movement. You, you don't manage a movement. You just steer it. You don't manage a movement. But anyway, let's look at the four things that Jesus Christ said we should be about. What his disciples should be about. Number one, in, in, in verse 18, the Bible, verse 19, sorry, he says, based on this, therefore, based on this authority, therefore, go. Go. That's the first point. Based on the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. 
all the wonders of when you are sent by somebody even when you represent somebody you speak as if you are that somebody have you seen that happen I stand here uh, representing the head of state who is busy on other duties. And this person talks like he's the head of state, but they're not. They understand the legitimate authority. So Jesus is saying, I want you to go. This is a command. That is how authority works. I, I, I've seen some and read some, some accounts about uh, some of the Russian soldiers in the Russian Republic. Some of them say that they've been captured, they're being asked and, and they say, you know, we were told that we're going for training exercises. But on such a day, our commanding officers said, we are going to go this way. And we found ourselves in a war. They didn't want when they realized that they've got to obey instructions. That's how authority works. There is something about the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that is good for us. Do not mislead me. Amen. It is a command. When he says go, this time Jesus is not speaking as a lamb. That lamb was slain. That lamb is now alive. This one is a commanding officer. The one speaking here. He says go. It is not a suggestion. He is not asking us to do something at our convenience. He didn't say, I think that perhaps when you think you may be able to, in your schedule, go. Jesus says, go. He expects us to take initiative. People are not going to seek out God. Primarily, we are going to seek out the people who need Christ. He came to seek. When you seek, you find them, then you save them. That's how it works. By God's grace, there are some who will come to us and say, can you explain to me about this Jesus? I want him. We thank God for those. But the command is for us to go. Find them. Find them where they are. We are to take the initiative. We are not just here warming up the pews. When we leave after church service, we are to go and find them. And you know them. You have people you interact with every day who need the Lord Jesus Christ. Go. Amen. Go. Befriend them. But make it clear you're a Christian. <laughs> Befriend them. Just be friends. There's, there's somebody that I've I've decided to just be a friend. I've just decided to be a friend. Because I've tried it before. When I started talking about Christ, hey, the guards they put up, the arguments, and I realized, ah, this one is not going to work. So if they are celebrating their child's birthday, I show up. I spend time with them. I tell them I don't drink. 
Don't, don't, don't give me that stuff. I'm, I'm cool with this. I spend time with them. I give, them a, I give their kids a good time. And after that, I leave. They know, this guy, they know. But one day, one day, there's always one day. Somebody counts until the 40th day. I don't know who does the counting. But la forty lima one. And they will say, had it not been for Brother Emmas, had it not been for Sister Taonga, Otiwongi, had it not been, I wouldn't be in Christ today. Because you showed them love. So go. Amen? Go. Let us not be reactive. Things are not easy when you're going on the back foot and you're hoping to win. It's not easy. A defending team is the most vulnerable. Jesus says, go. That means you're taking the offensive. You're taking the initiative. Amen? When you obey, you'll be amazed how much more of God you will experience in your life. And this has been proven. When you obey God, John chapter 14, verse 21. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 21. The book of John is very interesting when it comes to this issue of obedience. John chapter 14, verse 21. And he says, and I too will love them and show my, myself to them. No, so here's the translation. You do what Jesus Christ commands, you will experience more of the presence of God in your life. That's favor. Hallelujah. That's favor. You want to experience the presence of God in your life? Obey him. It is that simple. Everything in your Christian walk hinges on your obedience to him. Oh, pastor, you have no idea what a devil my husband is. Hey, hey, hey. Just submit. That's what the Bible says. But pastor, my wife's tongue, when she speaks, she can make Job curse this way. Hey, just love her. And pray. Just obey. Amen? You don't know my boss. No, I don't. But the Bible says, you work as if you're working for the Lord. Not this one who is giving you problems here. And one day, surely one day, they will remember. They will say, I used to have Patricia, that woman. I mistreated her. I did all sorts of things. But she kept working with a smile. That, it's, there's got to be something. You set them on a path to seeking God. Just obey. There are some difficult people we live with, work with, meet. But just obey the command of the Lord. So point number one is go. He says go and make disciples. Let me go back to Matthew 28. He says I want you to go. Point number two. He says I want you to make disciples of all nations. How many? All nations. Disciples are made. They are not born. Are we clear? So you can be born again. You know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But as far as discipleship is concerned, you need to be made into a disciple of Jesus Christ. That means you need to be teachable. Because there is somebody God has burdened to make you into a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now what is to make? To make is to bring into form. It is shaping. It is altering a, set, a, a material to turn it into something you want. Okay? So when God says that I made you and formed you in your mother's womb, it's because he wanted you. Amen? It doesn't matter out of what circumstances you came out of, but he wanted you. I'm always amazed with my wife's cooking. I think she's a great cook. Really, I may be biased, but you know, I'll leave that up to you. But the way she would take ingredients, different kinds of ingredients, and by the time she ends up with a meal, you ask her, where was this recipe? Where did you get this recipe? She says, I was just making it as I went along. It's amazing the kind of food she cooks. But that is what to make means. You take that, you take that, you put it here, two minutes, and you add some oil. And, uh, that's making. I was talking with a brother yesterday. He's, he's, he's released a, a phenomenal song. Um, I said, mate, what did it take to do this? So he was telling me, oh, pastor, we do this, we do that in the studio, we do this, and there are wave files, and he, he, it was techno mumbo jumbo for me. But I, I appreciated when, when, when somebody comes out with a song, please buy it. Don't copy it. There's a lot that goes into making that song. The least you can do is to appreciate by buying. There's a lot that goes into it. That's making. So Jesus says, I want you to make disciples. Of all nations. In the book of Colossians, Paul says that I have come, in Colossians chapter 1, I have come to be a servant of this, by this commission that God gave to me. Verse 26. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his ministry, of this mystery, which is Christ in you. So there is Christ in you, okay? The hope of glory. So he says, he is the one. He says, I'm proclaiming the Christ in you. We are proclaiming him. He says, I admonish and I teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's discipleship. There's going to be teaching. There's going to be admonishing. There's going to be proclaiming. And the idea is we want to turn you into a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because later on we see that Jesus says the things that we teach are not the things that come from me. They are the things that Jesus taught the disciples. And they are to teach others the things that they heard from Jesus. And the chain goes on and on and on and on. Uh, look, I don't know how to make you a good member of KICC. I don't. I don't even know how I can make you a good disciple of Pastor Matthew Shmolo. I don't. 
I don't know how I can make you a good disciple of Pastor Magdav Piri. I don't. I don't even know how I can make you a good disciple of me. The one thing I know is to make you into a good disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the focus. He's building an army. When we sing, there's an army rising up, this army is going to go through training. And, and army training is not simple. It's not easy. Those who have gone through it, when you ask them, they'll say, hey, Zimez was dying. We went through it. We came out. Praise God. It's hard. I've got a brother who, who was in the army. Retired now. But some of the things he tells you, I'm beginning to appreciate the men in uniform. I'm beginning to appreciate the men in uniform. They, they, they have a mindset that is amazing. Amazing. Very sacrificial mindset. Very sacrificial. So war breaks out. City is under siege. The, the, you afraid of Ukrainian soldiers who have taken their families all the way to the border, make sure they are safe and they say, I'm going back. I'm going to fight. If it was me, the border, the border, across, I'll pray for you. But those guys are trained. There's a new movie that has come out. I've just forgotten the, 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 the title. But it is about a Japanese soldier who was left with his unit on an island. I think it was in Singapore or somewhere somewhere near, near there. And they were told, you are to defend the Japanese interests here and you are not going to, what did they say, voluntarily surrender to your enemies. That was 1944. Not long after that, the Americans captured the island. But he and his three friends managed to get away. Not long after that, the war ended. And there were flyers that were distributed by air and so on and so forth to say the war has ended. You come out, if you are a soldier, these are the provisions and so on under the Geneva Conventions and whatnot. They read the flyers, they said, hey, fake news. We're not, we're not going to believe this. And for the next 30 years, they lived in the jungle on that island. His one friend was caught. The other one died of a disease, I think. It's on bbc.com. And he, he, was, he only left, so 30 years from 1945, that would be about 1975. That's when a Japanese explorer who went to the island, trying to trace the history of the armies of Japan, found him and said, we, we need to go back home, the war has been over. He says, I, I don't believe you. He said, look, it's 1975. He said, I don't believe you. Unless a commanding officer from my unit comes to tell me, that's when I'll leave. I've got orders to defend the empire of Japan. And so this explorer went back to Japan, told the, um, the military, and they sent him with somebody, and they said, you can stand down, soldier. He said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to come home. 30 years in obedience. How do you become somebody like that? That one was made into a disciple of the empire of Japan. 
So, discipleship is work. Many times it is hard work. That is very much like farming. If you don't appreciate farming, it's more or less like you're crazy. <laughs> if you have never farmed before, you would think these people are crazy. They buy seed. Lots of money into seed. Put it in the ground on the hope that it will rain. And they wait. Weeding. I can see the farmers going like this. <laughs> and they wait. And they weed it. And they take care of it. And they take. It's almost like throwing away that money in the soil. But sooner than later, after a few weeks, life starts to spring up. Then they are vindicated in their wisdom. And they'll take care of it. Sometimes there's nobody watching over that crop. They have faith. Nobody will steal. And it begins to grow, whether it's the maize, whether it's the, the, the groundnuts, whether it's the soya and, and whatnot. And they believe nothing will happen. No diseases. And they are praying. The faith of a farmer is amazing. Whether it's animal farming or plant farming, it's amazing. My wife likes farming, plants. I pray for her. I'm taking interest, but that's, that's not my area of interest. But then they harvest much more than they planted. Sure, there are bad years sometimes when things don't go wrong. You would think they would give up. The following year, they go back. That's what discipleship is like. You tell them, I need to meet with you for the next certain number of weeks. And you know what? They forget that they have received Jesus Christ and they need to be taught. They don't come. Why didn't you come? Oh, I needed to go there. So they go, but I'm teaching you about the kingdom. <laughs> okay, can we meet next week? Yes. What time? This time. Which place? This place. Agreed? Yes. Please put it in your calendar. We should meet. Fine. The time comes. Oh, it was today. It can be hard work. It can be hard work. And many times you leave each other and you feel like, oh, God, I've done all I could do. Years later, I've told you the story. Years later, I'm in a bank. I'm cashing a check. And so the tailor says, he calls out my name to go and get the money. I, I, I arrive at the counter and the guy standing next to me and says, Sundaran Manjo, he goes, Chancellor College, I said, yes. Back in the 90s, he said, yeah. do you remember me? I said, I, I don't remember you. So he says, um, where are you now? I said, oh, KICC, and he says, ah, with McDuff. Are you guys still working with Christ? Now, when he told me who he was, I remembered him. He was a problem. <laughs> I thank God he received Christ. But teaching him about the ways of the Lord, he was a problem. Problem. Until I reached a point, I said, you know what? I'm wasting my time. I gave up on him. 
So when he's asking the question, he says, are you still, you guys still working with Christ? We say, yes, we're still working with Christ. He says, I'm so happy. The work you guys did on me, I'm thankful to God. I'm like, ah. <laughs> some you get to know about, some you don't. One guy goes on his Facebook page and says, today I'm going to write you, a, I'll tell you a story. A story of a young man and his wife who was driving a company car. He always made sure he would come to me once every week. We prayed, we studied scripture. When I went through hard times and, and I'm reading this story, I'm reading this story. It's very interesting. And then he says, that man, ladies and gentlemen, I want to honor today is Sungana Nimanjaro. And my picture was there. And this guy is the director of finance somewhere in town. I, I, I was like, I wish, he, I wish he had asked me before he wrote this. I, I felt so inadequate. But in a way, I felt so proud of him because I was like, oh God, it paid off. I'm just giving to you the reality of the picture of discipleship. Some you win, some you don't. Some you get to know where they, they end up. Some you will never know until glory. But the instruction is make disciples of all nations. There's no room for segregation or preferences. Discipleship is for everybody. It's for all nations, for all people groups. Because when you come to Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, the Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, and all people, and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and, and it continues. But I want you to notice that God, God does not care where you come from. You need Jesus. God does not care who you are. You need to be in heaven. So why should we be segregationists? Now I know there are congregations that are tailored to a particular people group like the Swahili service at CCBC. I know there are, there are particular groups in, in Zaleka which cater to those kind of people groups. It's fine. That needs to happen. Let's support them all we can. Okay? Because everybody needs Christ. No segregation. Okay, so the first point is go. The second point is Make disciples. And don't worry, if someone may be saying, I don't know how to do this discipleship thing. It's okay. Don't worry. We'll get there. Okay? Don't worry. So, the third point is, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The act of water baptism is a public declaration of what Christ has done in our lives. When we go to the book of Romans chapter 6, the Bible says, this one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried before him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That's what you symbolize when you're going, into baptism, going through baptism. He says, but verse 5, For if we have been united with him 
in death like this. We shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, we will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Now the context of baptism is this. When you are being baptized, you are publicly saying the old me is dead. Buried. Okay? And I'm glad we use water for this. We don't use soil. But that's what you're symbolizing publicly to saying the old me, the sinful me is gone. This one who has come up now is a new one. He's in Christ. No longer a slave to sin. It's a public commitment. And in the first century, when this was happening, you either declared that Caesar was Lord or not. So for you to make a public commitment and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, you, you were putting up yourself against some really powerful people. Caesar was Lord in the sense that Jesus is Lord. So public confessions of being in Christ were a serious thing. That's why most of them were martyred. Our Christianity seems to be soft these days. There are some places where Christians are being persecuted, I know. But you need to make that public commitment. We shamelessly declare our identity in Christ and we commit ourselves to living according to the new calling we have in him. When you, when you go through baptism, what you are saying is, I am giving my brothers and sisters the right to hold me accountable, to live for Christ. And most of us don't want to do that. It's not convenient, is it? But that's what you're doing. I remember somebody came up to me <laughs> and they said, uh, Pastor, I saw you this other day. You were driving and there was this young lady in the passenger side. Who was that one? They, they were really concerned. And I, saw, I said, which day? And they told me. I said, oh, that, that's my daughter. <laughs> but I felt good because I know somebody is looking out for me. Okay? And I said to myself, I better be careful the way I carry myself around town. Public commitment, accountability. Amen? It, ha it happened, sister. It happened. They thought pastor is being funny. So we need to be asking ourselves, why aren't you in the prayer meeting? Prayer is good. There's a lot that happens in prayer. Come, let's pray. That's, that's accountability. And baptism is for those who are in Christ. So get baptized in water if you have never, if you have not done so. Let me ask uh, Sister Fatima.
If there's a paper at the back, if anyone wants water baptism, they have them register. Anyone who has not been baptized in water, register. We should arrange. We need to obey the commanding officer. Amen. And then, of course, uh, the fourth point is teaching them. So, go, make disciples, baptize them, and the fourth point, teach. He says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It means you can't pick which scripture to believe or not. Amen? It's the whole counsel of scripture that we are to believe, we are to obey. Now, the things that the Lord taught the disciples have been handed down through the generations. Teachings about prayer, teachings about giving. Teachings about how to pray and how not to pray. Teachings about the kingdom of God. We are to teach each other these things. That's how you make the disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's how you make your children into disciples of Jesus Christ. We do well to decide to learn from those who have gone before us. And even the young ones. Do you know that sometimes the perspective that children have towards the things of God can teach you a thing or two? It's amazing. One of our children, just this past week, was telling my wife, said, Mom, today you look much brighter. It's not like the, the same you who was sick yesterday. My wife had had a, has had a problem with her ear. And she was in pain. And you know when somebody's in pain, their face doesn't smile easily. And so he came and says, you look much better than you were yesterday. And you're laughing a lot. You know, mom, it's all about attitude. Attitude makes a difference. And he walks away. And we were sitting there and said, wow. Yeah, attitude makes a difference. You're learning this from your child. But we captured something. And said, attitude makes a difference. Attitude makes a difference. Then there are those who have gone before us. Who have taught us a thing or two about the way we live our Christian life. The way we do ministry. The way we live with our family. Watch these people. Watch them. How do they teach? How do they live their lives? Be teachable. In, in, in a Faith Clinic, we have been looking at this one teachability as one of the pillars of your Christian life. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay? So, let's just assume that uh, our brother here has come to the Lord. So, I take him, I spend time with him in discipleship. I'm teaching him about the ways of the Lord and the things that he's, he has now in Christ and so on and so forth. When I'm done with him, I'll say, 
Now, the things that you have heard me teach you, I want you to entrust in others. Who will be able to teach others? You see how the movement is going? Paul had captured the movement that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28. So when I'm done with him, I'm with somebody else. And in no time, the whole place is too small. There are people receiving Christ everywhere. And they are growing in their work with Christ. And their church is coming up all over the place. Booking their reservation for the ultimate blessing in Revelation chapter 22. You can do that with your children. Amen? One of the ways I learn about the youth of today and what, they are, what is important to them is I just spend time with my kids. My nephews and nieces. I find out what's in their world. And it helps me to say, oh, okay, we better start praying about this. We need to share about that. And so on. Entrust to others who are teachable and are qualified to teach as well. That's what Paul told Timothy. Some lessons are only shared when you share your life as well. Some lessons are only shared when you share your life as well. Amen. In the book of First Thessalonians chapter 2, from verse 6, the Bible says, we are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we have come, we could have asserted our authority. It says, I'm not looking for approval from anybody. Okay? Even though we could have you know, inserted, asserted our authority and say, listen to us, we are the, we are the, I'm the pastor here. So, no, 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 no. He says, no, no, no. That's, that's not what we did. He says, instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Have you seen a nursing mother care for a baby? Have you seen them? They don't care about anybody else except their baby. I've seen them in church. They will sit. One of them is laughing. They will sit. They will breastfeed right there. They care about the baby. They put a cloth and they breastfeed and they're listening to the word of God. That's sacrifice. Same woman, months later, baby is three years old. They will not dare. They will not dare expose themselves. So he says, just as a nursing mother cares for her child. A mother, I remember there was a time we were in a workshop. So pastor was asking one of our sisters, says, okay, so supposing I put a pill on one end and a pill on the other end, and I put a plank across, and I said, cross, would you do it? And the sister says, no way, pastor, I wouldn't do that. She says, okay. Supposing I'm standing on the other end and I've got a million kwacha. And she says, um, no. She says, do you need a million kwacha? She said, yes. But you wouldn't walk across the plank. She said, no, no, that's too risky. She says, okay. Supposing I'm holding your daughter and I'm about to drop her. I'm on this end of the plank. Would you come? She said, pastor, I would fly. That's the love of a caring mother. That one is what, what I call, she's in what I call mother mode. 
So Paul says, we cared for you as a mother cares for her children. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Okay? We can stand here and, and share verses and whatnot, but if we don't share our lives, you will not get to see how authentic we are. If you don't share your lives with your brothers and your sisters in Christ, we will not get to know how authentic we are. So let's share our lives. Amen? Let's share our lives. Regardless of which station your brother is at or which station your sister is at. Share life. And that's how people get to know ah, this Christ is real. When we have love for one another. Amen. One of us was, was, was nursing somebody who was sick. And, and I'm amazed with what, what, what you guys did in the church. Drew up a plan. At the hospital, I'll, I'll go with breakfast. I'll go with lunch. I'll go with... This person did not have to worry about where the food was going to come from. You were there for them. And they said, you know, Pastor, I, I, I didn't know the amount of love that is in this church. Amen? Give yourself for other people. Sow in their lives the love of God. Amen? Even if you said, I'm just going to buy a bottle of water for the guardian. I brought you water. I came to see you. It's enough. Amen? It's the love that comes through that makes a difference. So we share our lives with each other. And that is how we get to know, we get to, to, to impart some of the teachings that Christ um, taught us. Just to be there when Mary and Martha had lost Lazarus. Made a difference. Amen? It did. And they had a bonus on top. They had Lazarus back. Somebody said, poor Lazarus, he had to die twice. After Jesus rose from the dead and he lived his life and he died again. <laughs> but the point is, share your life. Jesus wept. There are some times when you really can't say anything. You just weep. I remember the, the, the time that um, my father-in-law passed on. So it was a... You know, he battled uh, cancer for a long time. And when he passed on at the funeral service, you know, we were busy running all over the place, doing things and so on. Then they said, okay, now the funeral service is, is going to start soon. And I went and I sat down next to two brothers. I have not mentioned their names, but I was, I was just sitting next to the two brothers. And then it hit me that he's gone. say any amazing words of wisdom from the throne of God. They didn't. They didn't even say it's going to be okay. They just put their hands on my shoulder. And now to hear. 
that was all that I needed done. But I learned something. So let's be there for one another. Because as we minister to one another, there are some things you begin to learn about the Christian life which cannot come from this pulpit. Amen? They can't. They can't. There's a brother whom I called one time. So how are things going? I'm doing okay. I said, uh, you don't sound like. He's one of those whom we talk. He said, you don't sound like. He says, uh, we need to meet. So we met over coffee one time in some place. And then he begins to tell me, you know, I have struggled. You know, my wife is this. She's doing that. And, so on and, 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 and after he had done, and I was like, okay, so how long have you been married? So he says, I think now we are like 13 years old now. I was like, uh, I just started smiling. And he was like, you think this is funny? I said, no, it's not funny. Of course it's not funny. But you remind me of me and my wife round about the same period of 13 years in marriage. We went exactly through the same things. And we have had to make some changes. And I shared my life story. I didn't share any verses about, oh, just love your wife, brother, just continue. I didn't. I just shared my story. And by the end of it, it was like, ah, you know, some of these things, you just need to hear that somebody was in that spot and they went through that just like you are going through and you say there's hope. I'm still here for the long haul. Some of the things we teach each other will not be from scripture as in me saying this verse that and this verse that. Some of these things, you just talk to each other. Amen? Some of the things you just observe. One more example and we finish. There's a pastor. We spent a lot of time in his house. Every Saturday afternoon, we'll go to his house, set up the equipment, start the praise team practice from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. We could work on only one song. One song. Three hours. And I learned something else going to his home every Saturday. I learned how he related with his wife away from church. The nice songs, they, I mean names they give each other, we heard them. I saw how he would discipline his children. I learned quite a lot of things, which he never told me from the pulpit, which he didn't even know I had picked up by just being with him. So share your life with others. Amen? Share your life with others. I am convinced, as we close, from the authority of Scripture, that if we apply ourselves to these four things, to go and look for those who are lost, and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. If we apply ourselves to these things that the Lord has commissioned us, 
we will experience his presence in which there is everything that we need. Okay? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be what? Added to you. So what do we need to do? We need to apply ourselves to doing these things in our personal lives as well as in the church and the family. Apply yourself to the relevant ministry as a man. We have got men of honor. As a woman, winning women. If you're 18, the royals. Apply yourself and get to learn these things. Amen? Get to learn these things. In your caring heart fellowship. This is what we're supposed to do. And you will prove for yourself that the greatest blessing you can ever experience is not that job promotion. The greatest blessing you'll ever experience is not that, you know, that new car that you've got or that nice house that you've got. Much as, as great those things are, but you're going to prove to yourself that the greatest blessing is being in Christ. And what a joy it is to be a blessing to bring others to Christ as well so that they can enjoy the same blessing that you enjoy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you, O oh God, that you want us to be about sharing the blessing of being with you for eternity with others. I pray, O oh God, for those that have taken up this word and saying, yeah, I want to be about this life. I pray, O oh God, that you strengthen them. And you give them the courage to step forward and say, I want to commit myself to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this, Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people say, Amen and Amen. So, um, is there anybody who has brought the tithe into the house of the Lord? We're going to take our offerings and tithes. Anybody who has brought the tithe? Just slip up your your envelope. Okay, or oh, stand. I see somebody stood. Sorry. Okay. Get your tithes ready. Get your offerings ready. And we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we want to thank you for these tithes that have been brought into your house. These offerings, oh God, that have been brought into your house. In obedience to your word, oh God, I pray that you effect the promises that you made to those who give in the mighty name of Jesus. And as this goes into the work of ministry, God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you and you alone shall be glorified as we go into the work of making disciples, going to find out those, O oh Lord, who need you. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, O oh God, that everything shall come to pass just as you promised, that your presence will be with us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Our prayer is that God has spoken to your heart. Be blessed in this week.